How do you like those fast talkers? Oh, we had one the other day. It was rough, man. I, I, I it was just one of those speed readers. And I, I am really good with the radios. I, I, I can, I can have a conver- three conversations going, and I'll hear a yeah. call sign and be like, "Oh, that's for us." And this guy was saying our call sign so freaking fast that I was having a hard time picking it up. And I just told the captain, I said, "I, I'm, I think I'm going to miss a call or two because this guy is just really just going in and out the ears." So <laughs> I don't know. We check about Robert. The views, comments, stories, and opinions shared within this podcast are our own or those of our guests and in no way represent the views of the companies, associations, or organizations that any of us may work for or represent. All stories, events, and tales shared within this episode may or may not have happened in the manner in which they were told. They may or may not have even happened at all. The details have been changed to protect the innocent and the guilty alike. This is Squawk Ideas. Can you fly this airplane and land it? No, not a chance. No. Not a chance. No, 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 no. Not a chance. Are we live? Are we live yet? Uh, this thing on, dang it, probably that point, right? You're listening to Squawk Eyed In, an aviation podcast that explores the many pathways to an aviation profession, the challenges that a professional aviator can expect in today's marketplace, and we share many stories along the way. I'm your host, Aviator Tony, a professional airline pilot currently flying a U.S. legacy airline with close to 20 years on the flight line. Welcome aboard Flight 106 of the Squawk Ident podcast recorded on the 4th of April, 2022 from the mobile Aviator Sound Studios high atop the 18th floor of the Westgate Hotel in San Diego, California. That's right, the penthouse suites. Yes being a pilot has its privileges. On today's flight, Rob D and I discuss in-flight medical emergencies, diversions, the POC. We also take a look at ATP requirements to obtain and retain the coveted certification of air transport pilot. Rob and I also take a look at the world's largest airlines history. So stay with us as we run through our final checks and we prepare to push back from the gate. Flight 106 of the Squawk Ident podcast is officially underway. Well, joining me today is the superb aviator and Squawk Ident podcast co-host. He is a former international and professional racquetball champion, a member of the 9G Club at AMP and Avionics Tech, an RC aircraft commander, a boat skipper, a commercial drone operator, and currently an Airbus pilot for Legacy Airlines. The name we use here on the show is an alias to our employer, a U.S. mainline carrier. Recovering from a four-day trip that ended just hours ago. That yes. started out with a reroute and weather diversion. Joining us from his podcast studio, where uh, he's struggling with the Wi-Fi again <laughs> and the lighting. <laughs> uh, just fresh off his short-call reserve trip, where he's going to be on short-call reserve again tomorrow. From somewhere in Flower Mound, <laughs> Texas, help us in welcoming aboard Mr. Rob D. Rob what's up man just trying to put it together over here i need i need all the lighting i could get to make me look good you know what i mean so the mood lighting so i'm trying to get that perfect for the uh youtube portion of the uh podcast but yeah i'm doing good man just uh happy to catch a break here in between and sit down and talk with you yeah and no joke man our schedules have been all of us have just been crazy busy. I know they have. we've been uh, juggling this recording now for over a week uh, with yeah. Kyle and Roger, and uh, we just, 
it's been crazy. And, and yeah. part of that is that we did that to ourselves with uh, the particular way we bid and the particular way we move trips around. But sure. also there's been a lot of rerouting and cancellations and diversions uh, due to weather, due to emergencies, due to all this kind of stuff that we've all had to contend with on top of our, yeah. you know, regular lives at home and trying to keep up yeah. with, you know, family responsibilities. So bear with us, right. ladies and gentlemen. We do thank you for, uh, for joining us and uh, following us. Uh, for those of you following on YouTube, yeah, there haven't been very many <laughs> videos posted lately <laughs> because, again, uh, you know, yeah. but when I get a chance to sit down, I think the month of April looks a lot better for me, at least. Yeah. So, good. Uh, so more things will be happening soon. Very good. So you were telling me in the pre-show that uh, you started your, your last four-day trip. It was a, a trip that was given to you on reserve. Is that correct? Yeah, the last trip was uh, actually it was a four-day trip on a, as a line holder. Um, so I did a four-day trip, and uh, and then I that was backed up by a two-day reserve trip, which I just finished uh, hours ago, literally. Um, but yeah, that four-day trip was a uh, man. It was brutal in the beginning. Um, thankfully, uh, we we finished on the fourth day with a one leg to base. Got done at eleven thirty. So all all in the end, it was worth it. But that first day was just. A brute man we started off uh having to do a houston turn and uh, we were supposed to go to uh memphis for the overnight actually we were, sp we were supposed to go to uh, uh vancouver for the overnight and yeah. we ended up going to memphis mm -hmm. um, but the uh, houston turn which you know should have been a just a routine out and back um was was delayed and hampered by weather and uh reroutes and a diversion, a holding and a diversion. So that really, really extended and complicated the day. And, you know, just an easy turn turned into a, you know, long, just, you know, exhausting. It, 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 it takes a lot out of you, you know, when, when you have to do stuff like that. Cause, you know, normally, I mean, I don't know if you feel this way, but like when I have a, you know, a normal routine flight, you know, there's, there's a certain amount of brain cells and energy that you need to have going into it, you know, that, you know, fatigue level, uh, is, is really low and you're, you know, ready to go and you, you start going, but then as soon as you start piling on, uh, work, you know, the workload and, 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 um, you know, start elevating your, your stress level with, uh, you know, having to come up with, uh, alternatives and, um, you know, using your brain power to, uh, you know, think through certain scenarios and processes and putting plans together, yeah. you know, that, that, taps into your energy bank and uh you know put uh, starts to make a short trip uh, a, or a short flight and a long flight you know what i mean so that diversion we diverted in the san antonio after we held for about i uh, only really did one turn in the holes because we didn't have enough gas to 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 continue so thankfully we were the first ones and i guess the only ones in there everybody else went into uh, austin Mm -hmm. Um, so we got in, landed, got gas, turned around, but even then it was, a still took 45 minutes to, uh, put the whole thing together. Once we got on the ground, get the, come, some passengers wanted to get off and <laughs> yeah. so got the gas, got in the air and it was literally like a 15 minute flight to, uh, to Houston. I think we got up to like 12,000 feet or something like that. So, yeah just enough to do the two, you know, faster than 250 to get there. So, yeah. Yeah. All because of a little line of weather. Yeah. Well, those lines of weather have been affecting 
you know, most of the Southeast for the last few yeah. weeks now. Um, even yeah. today, right as soon as we hit record on the podcast, yeah. <laughs> my phone went beeping. Your sequence oh, yeah. failed continuity. Well, what does that mean? Well, that means yeah. my go home leg later today has already been canceled. So, shoot, let's see what they uh, end up doing here. <laughs> I don't know, but uh, yeah. it'll be interesting to see. And that that weather delay, as you talked about, you know the the mental processes. You know, normally as a flight crew, you. You know, you go through all the pre-flight planning. Um, you get pretty good at it after a while. You recognize trips in particular between two particular cities, and uh, yep. it, it becomes kind of a uh, what I say not routine, but it, it it's not a very stressful situation. You know, you you get in right. the airplane, you you take off, and you go go go, um, and everything goes smoothly. We always wish each other a boring flight, right? Yeah. And then all of a sudden, something comes up and goes, well, you know, something will catch your ear. Kind of like when the teacher calls your name when you weren't paying attention in class. All of a sudden, your ears shoot up and you're like, oh. <laughs> and that happens on the airplane as well as, you know, commanders of the flight, as pilots. And you, you start, the wheels start turning. Because of the complexity of the operation, we start thinking about, okay, what's the weather? What's the situation? What's the best course of action? What was the plan? And is, does the plan still work? Because that's exactly what it is, a flight plan, not a flight script or a flight necessity, but the plan. Do we have enough fuel for this? Um, are our alternates still a good idea? Where is the line of weather? Where is it moving to? You know, you had mentioned that uh, you were rerouted and you had to get all this extra fuel and then because yep. of that, and the whole, you didn't really have much hold fuel. Well, under uh, Part 121, IFR flight rules for an airline, you've got to have enough fuel to get to your destination plus a minimum of 45 minutes of fuel. And if you need an alternate, the whatever we use there, the 123 rule, mm -hmm. then uh, you need enough fuel to, after shooting an approach to minimums, then fly the missed approach procedure, and then go to your alternate. So you have to have so much fuel before you even take off, thus mm -hmm. the minimum takeoff fuel. And in route, things change. You get slowed down, you get different altitudes, you get rerouted, you get shortcuts sometimes. Are you going to be too heavy? We just talked about that in the last episode, yeah. you know, overweight landings. you got to make sure you don't fall into that category. But to have all that stress... All that mental processes, all that mental math uh, in, on the flight deck while you're still trying to fly the airplane or be a pilot <laughs> yeah. monitoring and, and recognize all the what we call triggers and flows and still operate. And on top of that, you're doing all this other math. And both of you should do it kind of together but independently yeah. so you can compare notes and not just blindly go, oh, that sounds good, Captain. <laughs> you know? right. So yeah. it, it takes a lot out of you. And I don't think people realize they think we're up there reading the paper, sipping coffee. And yeah. And although sometimes it's funny, cause it's funny you say that because that's kind of kind of because yeah, that's kind of what I think my captain thought I was doing. But um, I was the uh, pilot monitoring on that one. And uh, I already calculated, you know, our bingo fuel before we even arrived at our holding point. I kind of had. Uh, an inclination that it was going to happen. So, you know, I already had my reserve, my 
uh, you know, the reserve fuel we needed and the amount to our uh, alternate calculated. So all I had to do is figure out at what point are we, do you think we're going to hold and how much fuel is it going to take to get from, you know, that point to the airport. And then of course that's our, that's your bingo fuel. So, um, you know, I already had that kind of hacked out before we even got into, uh, you know, the holding environment. Mm -hmm. And, you know, he was like, oh, well, let me uh, calculate the holding fuel and everything. And, you know, and, and I, you know, just sat over there because I already had done it, you know, and he looked over at me like, why don't you come up with the number? I was like, okay, I will. I already have, you know, kind of thing. And he was like, oh, you did? And I'm like, yeah, I kind of knew this was coming. <laughs> yeah so so he's like oh okay what'd you come up with so he came up with a number and i came up with a number and you know we were within a couple hundred pounds of each other of course everybody rounds up so yeah so we were uh came up with a a number and um we continued on so yeah yeah didn't mean to interrupt too much on that but that's oh, kind of yeah, yeah. kind of like what it's like right you gotta yeah. gotta come up with some number and they, you know you're getting not really distracted but you're you know your focus is uh at, you know, you had to add an extra level of, of uh, you know, of a chore to do or a task to do while you're normally flying an airplane, which you normally don't have to do. So, mm -hmm. yeah. And I think weather, weather diversions and weather holding is a lot different than other types of diversions. And we'll get to that in a minute. But with yeah. weather holding, you know, you kind of, the first thing they tell you is uh, expect holding. Right. right? And so the first reply that it's, I think, great technique, not required, is, well, can we get speed our discretion? Yes. Right? Slow down. Why are you in a big hurry to get there and hold? And right. You can just slow the airplane down and conserve and fuel. conserve fuel. Right? Definitely. So maybe you can hold longer. Those extra five minutes could be the difference between going to your alternate or, or going to your destination. Right. right? So when you get into your holding, of course, you know, you there's a, it's a fix a waypoint, whatever you know, holding instructions you were given, uh, and then you're sitting there, you enter the hold, you make your mandatory call out to ATC, uh, and you start doing the, that mental math that you hopefully have already prepared, but then you start mm -hmm. verifying, okay, well, originally we said bingo fuel, currently have this fuel as we're entering the hold. Uh, you can look right at your engine instruments and go, okay, what's the fuel burn? You know, and, and on the Airbus 200 and some odd miles an hour, depending on your altitude, uh, and you're doing circles in the sky, if you're burning 2,800 pounds per hour, uh, that's pretty good. That's really good. Yeah. And so you can calculate, okay, if that's my burn rate per hour, and I have this much, like 10,000 pounds between now and, and uh, my bingo fuel, well, we can be up here for hours. You know, yeah. or maybe you only have a couple thousand pounds, in which case you might only be up there for 20 minutes. So something you have to calculate, and you're supposed to calculate, what, every 15 minutes, I think, our, every 15 minutes, our manual, yeah, our SOP. Monitoring. Yeah. Yep. So it's, it, you're constantly, constantly working. But I had an experience that also included a divert last week, but it was yeah. not a weather divert. And what was it? Let me tell you, avoid Monday morning departures out of Las Vegas. <laughs> That's what I had today. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know what it is about Vegas. The responsible ones always go home Sunday night, and the <laughs> ones that just have to party all night long go home Monday oh, morning. Yeah. And <laughs> uh, Vegas, you get some interesting characters coming out of that city for yeah. sure. 
Yeah, and you know, and we're kind of used to it. You know, we we hear yeah. these kind of things. Oh, we got a passenger that's not feeling well. Oh, okay, wonder what that is. Yeah. And we have a kind of rule yeah. of thumb: Are they over forty or under forty? If they're under forty, <laughs> it's like probably party a little too hard Alcohol last night. Related, yeah. Yep. If they're over forty, ooh, this might be a real uh, serious thing. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So we we departed. Uh, it was the it was the captain's leg to fly. Uh, it was a typical morning in Las Vegas. We both commented on how beautiful it was. The temperature was perfect. The sun was up. And we were one of the first flights to depart. And we were departing on some runways that, eh, you know, you, we depart out of there quite often on runway, I guess, one. One right. Yeah, that's yeah. what we did this morning. So we did, we did one right departure. Now, with well, the one right departure, you know, you're heading towards the north. You have a single engine procedure. You have to put that in there and brief it. Uh, then you talk about the departure procedure, the performance of the aircraft. Is it going to be a toga takeoff? Is it going to be a flex takeoff? All this kind of stuff. Can you hear that? <laughs> yeah, they coming for you. They're coming for me. <laughs> Bad boys. Bad boys for life. Give you must a be doing something illegal there. I swear I got my pants on. What? <laughs> so as we were climbing out, uh, you know, everything was normal. And we were still on a segment of the departure procedure. So maybe, I think we're about 100 miles out on our way to Chicago O'Hare. Now, the day's schedule was an early morning departure from Las Vegas to Chicago, a two and a half hour sit in Chicago, and then we're to fly on a different aircraft down to Orlando to spend the night. And we noted that we had the same flight attendant crew, cabin crew, for the first leg as we did on the second leg. So we briefed them as such, and here we are about 100 and some odd miles away from the airport, and we get the ding dong. <laughs> and, uh, captain goes, you want to grab that? I'm like, sure. Your radios. So captain goes, all right, my aircraft, my radios. So I hit the intercom button, and I was like, hello. And it was our number one flight attendant, a.k.a. the purser. And she said, we have a medical emergency. We have an ER doctor attending. Uh, I don't know anything else other than that. I will get back to you. Okay. Wow. Thank you. So <laughs> the captain was like, oh, well, okay, well, I mean, we're not going to, let's find out what happened. I mean, sometimes a medical emergency can be, you know, someone got sick in the bathroom <laughs> and, and they won't come out and we don't, and they don't sound good. Or it could be something serious. Serious. And at yeah. that point, we really didn't know. But we were mentally already now, the adrenaline is kind of pumping a little bit. You're getting ready to possibly do a, a return to your takeoff airport. So we talked about it. We're like, okay, well, in case we have to go back, we were going to be well overweight. Yeah. But a medical emergency is a medical emergency. We're in a what, 321? 321, yep. Yeah. So yep. uh, we're continuing to climb out, and we're waiting to hear back. And, you know, I, I started a timer because sometimes in these kind of events, your concept of time is skewed, especially when you have a I lot going thing. on. Yeah. So, yep. And plus, you can, you can look at your timer and go, okay, what, what time did this event start? Yeah. And you go, oh, 10 yeah. minutes ago, what was the time? 10 minutes ago, the so-and-so Zulu time. You write that down on your scratch paper or whatever you have. I always have yeah. like a, a 8 by 5 
folded piece of paper right on my tray table and take all my notes and clearances and whatnot. So about five minutes went by and we got the ding dong and she says, okay, here's the situation. Uh, The passenger uh, passed out uh, and then came to, and then he went to the bathroom and he was throwing up violently. And we're like, oh, geez, you know, and she said she gave me the age of the passenger, the name, the seat number, all the pertinent information that I'm required to collect. And and now the captain was in on this conversation as well. And he said, well, you know, the ER doctor that's attending, does the ER doctor think that we should do an emergency return or is it okay to continue? And she's like, well, the ER doctor is busy right now because um, she's trying to get a pulse and it's very weak. And we're like, oh, geez, so definitely going to go back. And he goes, make sure you call the physician on call. At our airline, at Legacy Airlines, the physician on call is a service that is available to all flights. And either the cabin crew using their electronic devices or the pilots using their electronic devices can contact SOC, Systems Operation Control, the dispatcher. And the dispatcher will then link the conversation to the physician on call. And the physician on call will say, hello, this is Dr. So-and-so. I, you know, I understand this is flight, you know, legacy flight, you know, whatever, one, two, three, four. How can I help you? And most of the time, now the technology exists where the flight attendants can go ahead and call them right. directly so that yeah. we're not playing this game of, well, he said, she said kind of thing. And she says, okay, we're gonna, I'm going to make sure that happens. I'll get back to you. Okay, note the time. And about five minutes goes by, and she says, okay, the physician on call says to give him an IV, which the ER doctor that's attending to him has already done. And uh, they put him on oxygen. His pulse is weak but steady, and but he's getting sick in the bathroom. Mm. And the physician on call says it's okay to continue to Chicago. Uh, and just monitor his his vitals Condition. and make sure that he's not getting any worse because it sounds like he's getting better. Mm-hmm. And the the gentleman that was uh, not feeling well was 38 years old, and we thought, 38 year old male, weekend in Las Vegas. Vegas, and she had mentioned that his travel partner, a friend of his, said that they were up for three days drinking and having a good time, and they didn't sleep the whole time. So, of course, now our biases are starting to come into play, going, well, sounds like the guy's just, like, dehydrated, really hungover. He's probably exhausted. And that's probably why he's in the condition that he's in. Again, reverting back to our preconceived notion under 40 over 40, right? Yeah. And so we continue the flight. And about 20 minutes later, we get another call. And this time... The flight attendant is a little bit more excited in her tone, and she says, listen, uh, the guy, uh, they couldn't find his pulse, so they pulled out the defibrillator. They put the pads on him, but before they could actually use it, uh, he had a pulse, was fine, um, and every time he gets sick in the bathroom, he's, it's so violent that he's yanking out his IV. So it's a big mess, and the ER doctor says we should land. And the captain said, well, okay, that's fine. Uh, let's, let's contact the POC and let them know this is 
you know, degrading rapidly and so that the, we can get a thumbs up and we can all make the decision, I'll be on the same page and we'll divert somewhere. But at this point, we'll start looking at where are we? Yeah. What's our altitude? Where's the closest airport? Where's the closest airport that has decent medical <laughs> facilities? Yeah, because coming out of Vegas headed like northeast, there's nothing really until nothing. you get to like Denver or something like that. Exactly. So, and we were thinking, okay, yeah. can we make a right turn and go to Phoenix or Albuquerque, or is it faster to just go back the way we came and get rerouted yeah. back into Las Vegas? Um, and so we were going back and forth, and the the physician on call again said, uh, "No, uh, we're just going to keep administering oxygen. His vitals seem to be okay. Everything that all the information I have, it's probably dehydration." Uh, we'll just make sure see if he can hold down some water, keep him on oxygen, and continue the flight. And the captain's like, I, I, I don't feel comfortable with this. I mean, and on top of that, yeah. we don't have enough oxygen to make it all the way to Chicago. And we have an, a doctor on board, an ER doctor at that, yeah. that is recommending. Now, our company SOPs kind of stipulate that the physician on call trumps all others. However, yeah. the captain has the authority to override the physician on call in the interest of safety. Sure. Yep. So we we went back and forth, and the, the captain says, has the physician that has been working on this patient, on this customer, been speaking directly with the physician on call through the handset? And the flight mm. attendant said, I don't think so. And the captain said, I want the physician on board the aircraft to talk with directly the physician on call because nice. clearly there is a communication barrier that is happening here. And we, for the interest of the safety and the uh, medical of the passenger, of the passenger yeah. we need this to happen. I need to know like within the next few minutes, cause we're going to have to divert. We're going to divert. He goes, I've made the decision. We're diverting, but I need that to be squared away. So that happened. Meantime, uh, you know, throughout all this, it, since it's like escalating in terms of it's not really a clear-cut case here. It's, we're all working in this gray area. Yeah. The captain looked at me and says, you know, Tony, uh, let me continue to communicate. I'm going to contact SOC directly. Your aircraft, your radios. I said, okay. Boom. My aircraft, oh. my radios. Nice. And I said, do you want me to start at least looking at uh, – you know, going into Denver because we were flying right over Denver in the next 30 minutes. And he goes, yeah. He goes, um, I'll get back to you as soon as we pull the trigger to divert because right now we're still, you know, in route. It's, we have to go there anyway. So I'm like, yeah, okay, fine. So I, I think they did all of them. All parties involved did an excellent job considering all the barriers that were placed there. And the physician on call continued to say, no, no, no. Um, I know you don't have enough oxygen to have 100% oxygen for this passenger the whole way, but just meter the O2, and you'll be able to make it to Chicago. And the captain's like, no, I'm diverting. Click. Nice. <laughs> and, the, and the dispatcher was like, Captain, I agree with you. You're going to Denver. <laughs> Roger that. So he looks at me and he goes, we're going to Denver. Go ahead and declare a medical emergency. Let them know what's going on, and we can start descending and getting in there. It's like, okay. So I declared a medical nice. emergency. I told them they wanted to know the passenger's info, how much fuel we would have upon landing, how many passengers were on board total, or souls on board, actually, all, all parties on board, on board, and 
they wanted to know if we had any hazardous material, right? Nice. Uh, so we did the calculations. I communicated with them after a couple minutes of being on the phone with the dispatcher and talking about what we were going to need when we landed, which was new oxygen bottles because they've used two, uh, a new defibrillator because they opened the kit once you open the kit, right. even though they didn't use yeah, it, new the medical kit. We needed a new medical kit. Uh, he's going to want, obviously, new flight plan, new fuel, uh, an open gate, uh, paramedics standing by, EMTs standing by. Uh, so once all that was squared away, he came back and he goes, okay, Tony, uh, where are we at? I said, well, we declared an emergency. We're descending to, I think it was 25,000 feet, and we're actually going direct to, to Denver, Denver, and I've already changed our destination in the flight management system. Uh, and they're not going to give us an arrival. We're going to expect uh, radar vectors to final for a southbound runway, and I printed out the digital ATIS. It's, it's ready to go. And he goes, okay, that's fantastic. My aircraft, your radios. I said, okay. Nice. So constantly positive exchange of controls. Uh, at that point, all that frustration from not really hearing what we wanted to hear was gone because now we had a plan. And we yeah. knew that the plan was the safest course of action. But still, the adrenaline's pumping. This is not normal. This is not a boring <laughs> flight here. And yeah. we landed 850 pounds under max landing weight. <laughs> the 171, whatever the yep. weight is. Yeah. We were wow. 170,000 and change. Nice. So we, uh, we, we got to the gate real quick. Now, the captain did a fantastic job flying this airplane. He was doing, he declared a medical emergency. So he was doing right. 310 knots all the way to about, uh, I want to say, 15 miles out. Yeah. Cool. So below 10, just yeah. plugging along. He's like, hey, medical Deviate emergency. from any FAR to the extent to meet the emergency. That's right. Necessary to meet the emergency. And, of course, that is not normal. So all the right. hairs on the back of your neck go up going, oh, shit, we're doing... 310,000 feet. Of ass. <laughs> Holy crap. So, and he does a fantastic job. He just gets the airplane slowed, gets it configured, totally smooth in everything he did. Touched down. The tower said, All right, you're cleared to the gate any which way you can. Uh, medical personnel are standing by. Your gate is open. You can use the inner outer line, just monitor ramp control. They know you're coming. So, a nice, brisk taxi, nothing unsafe. And we got to the gate and of course, the captain made a PA saying, ladies and gentlemen, remain in your seats until the medical personnel can get on board. And we ran whatever checklist we had to run, and, and it was a fantastic outcome. Wow. And we had a little huddle in the first-class galley with the flight crew. He, he profusely thanked them for doing a fantastic job. He wanted to make sure that our flight attendants were okay, that they weren't stressed out, that they can continue the flight. Yeah, that takes a lot out of you, for yep. sure. Because uh, they were dealing with bloodborne pathogens and defibrillators yeah. and having to secure the cabin throughout all this, you know, and do all the yeah. normal stuff on top of the emergency. Yeah. So we have where they that's what they get paid to do. That's that's their job right there. That's why they're that's there. That's awesome. Yeah. Yep. And so uh, we were on the ground uh, about an hour. And in that time, maintenance, because it's a maintenance facility there, they came, they brought new oxygen bottles and and the new kits, and we got the lab serviced, and we got fuel, we got a new flight plan, a new weight and balance, and we turned that airplane around and lickety-split, and we took off and headed on to Chicago. Nice. Nicely jo nice job, man. And if you think awesome. 
The tail the only... ends there. It oh. does not. <laughs> Say the only thing you forgot to get, and this is a joke, is his uh, medical insurance card so we could bill the airline. Uh, so the airline could bill his medical for the diversion and all that. You know, all that he could have prevented that if he didn't have so much alcohol. Turns Just out, kidding. I mean, I took a good look at this guy and his travel companion. They both exited the aircraft uh, yeah. you know, on their way to the hospital. Uh, the dude was like in a golf polo shirt with, you know, khaki pants. He looked he looked like someone's dad, you know, um, and I huh. I felt bad at that moment because yeah. I realized it was my preconceived biases that I had about the city of Las Vegas. Yeah. The type of passengers that leave on a Monday morning. All these preconceived biases that I and the other crew members had were actually not warranted. Yeah. And it taught me a lesson. At that mo moment, um, through a little bit of humility, I realized that no matter what happens, no matter what the scenario, I need to recognize those biases and make sure that they don't sway my decision making. Yeah. That's a good lesson learned right there. Yeah. Always learning. No matter how learning. much you do this. Yep. Well, I said, I mentioned that the story doesn't end there and it does not. Rut row. What happened? Rut So we take off out of Denver and we're on our way to <laughs> Chicago. Let's continue this okay. flight. Okay. Same so, flight. Okay. Same flight. So same we, flight, second segment. Second yep, segment. Yeah, we get to cruise altitude. <laughs> we're like, man, that was, that was stressful. Yeah, yeah. And we were talking a little bit about the, our biases and what we could have done better. Um, and we talked about the scenario. The captain was kind of hard on himself. He's like, man, I should have just turned around right away when they were I'm like, yeah, but you know, our procedures dictate that we follow certain steps and that we're not, you know, cowboying the airplane back, you know, and got, yeah. everyone's got to kind of be on the same page here. And so I think, you know, considering how the events transpired, I think we did a great job. I think you did a great job. That was a fantastic approach. You know, words of encouragement. Uh, I always try to give at least two or three uh, words of encouragement to my captain on every single flight segment because they're good yeah. enough, they're smart enough, and doggone it, people <laughs> doggone like it. them. People like me. I deserve good <laughs> things. I am entitled to my share of happiness. I refuse to beat myself up. I am an attractive person. I am fun to be with. We get to cruise, we're talking, we're having this conversation, and we get ding dong. Captain, we have another medical emergency. Are you kidding me? We're like, what, what? Really? Really? And she's like, yeah, we have a little boy who's passed out. He goes, what the hell? Okay. Uh, she goes, the same ER doctor is handling it. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm like, she, she goes, I'll be right back. I'll get the info and I'll be right back. He's like, okay. And now we're like, there's nothing east of Denver for a long time. <laughs> we're like, what the hell? <laughs> Omaha. So we're starting to look at, okay, where can we go? What airports do oh, we service? Geez. You know, these little airports that, that you are in the Midwest. Yeah. Where can we go if we had to go? We're, now, our, now we're like trigger response. We're ready to go because we just had yeah. practice, right? Yeah. So we're, we're yeah. getting everything ready. The training department would be so proud of you guys right now, but go ahead. <laughs> <laughs> About five minutes later, we get ding dong, and we're, we're expecting, you know, we got to divert. Uh, and she goes, no, oh, sure. no, uh, the doctor tended to him. He's fine. He's conscious. He's really, he was blood sugar. It was an issue. We gave him crackers. Uh, he's completely stable. And the parents are refusing medical treatment anyway because they think that he was just hungry and tired. We're like, well, are you sure? Because this is a child. We don't, you know, so I, 
and the captain's like, well, okay, I guess, you know, crisis diverted. And <laughs> I said, um, can you do me a favor to my purser? I said, could you go back there? And I want you to talk to the parents, not the doctor. And I want you to ask them uh, if we want to have paramedics standing by at the gate in Chicago just to just for safety to check them out, if they're okay with that, because it's as a precaution. And uh, she says, yeah, sure, sure, yeah. So she went back there and came back. She says, no, uh, both the parents, the mom and the dad, said they do not want any medical treatment and they do not want the paramedics standing by, that he was just hungry and tired and it was fine. And they're like, okay, so they were refused medical treatment. Thank you for saying that, or thank you for checking. Um, and the captain goes, he, you know, after she left, he looks at me and he goes, that was pretty smart. I'm like, it's on the recorder that they refused medical treatment because, yeah, you know. Um, so, yeah, we continued the flight, uh, <laughs> thankfully, without another uh, real medical emergency. <laughs> and we started our descent. The captain made his prepare for landing PA. And immediately after, we got ding dong. Oh, shit. What now? We have a passenger that's throwing up in the aisle. Oh, my God. This is all from Vegas? <laughs> so adult was out partying. Some kid, little kid was out partying. And now you got another person. Oh, geez. I'm like, okay. Uh, do you, uh, are you just telling us? Or, you know, <laughs> she's like, well, uh, we're, we're doing the final walkthrough. I'll let you know if it's anything other than just air sickness. <laughs> so we got, ding. It's like, uh, yeah, he's fine. He just... Air, he said it's air sickness. Like, uh-huh. Wow. Uh-huh. Dude, that's a lot to so go through. We landed and cabin cleaning another bio kit because they had to clean up the mess. You know, you know, people stepping over puke and oh yeah. Uh, Captain and I looked at Dude. each other and went, Hey, we still have to fly to Orlando. <laughs> Gosh. And half those passengers came from Vegas. No. <laughs> Uh, who knows? <laughs> so what that uh, thank you for for bearing with me on that long drawn out story i i didn't want to leave anything out but it raised a few questions what is a poc a physician on call we answered that yeah. one okay it's a service that the airline pays for to have a physician at some hospital somewhere that's on call that can be called into this phone center and it, they they help all the airlines and yep. if you have an in-flight medical and you need a doctor's referral, you call them and they give you the, uh, this is what we think you should do. This is how you should treat the patient. Because there won't always be a doctor on board. Sometimes right. there's a nurse on board or a paramedic, but other times, really, there might not be any medical professional on board. One time we had a veterinarian step in. I'm like, well, wow. I'm a veterinarian. I can give first <laughs> basic first aid. It's like, well, our flight attendants can do that too. Yeah, <laughs> you know, and you can't just open so the medical. You're saying they're as qualified as a veterinarian. <laughs> saying sometimes there's a doc I'm a doctor. Like really, in what? In literature. <laughs> <laughs> I was gonna say, yeah, it's kind of like the, uh, the 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 Friends episode when Ross is uh, in the hospital with Rachel or something like that, and like, hi, I'm Rachel. I'm so and so, and I'm on, I'm Doctor Ross Geller, and Rachel's like, oh, stop it, Ross. In here, doctor really means something. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Or the movie The Hangover, right? Mm -hmm. When I forget the guy's name, Ed Helms. Ed, not Ed Helms. Yeah, Ed Helms, when he's, you know, he's a dentist. I'm a dentist. 
<laughs> yeah, and they ch- they're checking into uh, you know the the Caesar's Palace, and he's like, "Yeah, Doctor So and So," and he and he's like, "Oh, shut up, dude. Hey, this guy's not a real doctor. If you have an emergency, you might want to call nine one one because this guy is no help at all." <laughs> <laughs> Make sure your teeth are straight. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Oh, anyway. so there's that uh, communication with the crew. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, nothing has to happen, Jackie Chan style. You know, you have time. Make sure the lines of communication are clear and concise. Put a time frame on your replies. So you go, okay, I want to call back in five minutes. Or if it's super urgent, I want to call back as soon as possible. Or if it's minor, all right, call me in 20 minutes and let me know the condition. And start that timer and write it down. Start, put an alarm on your your electronic device, you know, Um, something to remind you. Uh, The captain's authority trumps all. And yep. if the captain doesn't want to divert and the, and the yep. POC or physician that's on board says, yeah, you should divert, the captain goes, ah, well, we're almost there anyway. You might want to interject and go, well, what's your job as a first officer to supply the captain with information until yeah. you know, they, they comply with the standard operating procedures in the interest of safety. Mm-hmm. Now, the captain did something that I didn't think to do because I've never had that scenario come up. He says, make sure you dump the lav on a diversion. He goes, it doesn't matter if you divert. Who cares if it takes 20 minutes or it takes an hour? Dump the lav. Because the last thing you want to do is have sick passengers and then a lav that's full. Yeah, and not be able to use it. Yeah, because what happens when people get excited? Oh, diverting? (gasps) Adrenaline yeah. pumps, and guess what happens yeah. as soon as the adrenaline goes down? Everyone's got to yeah. pee, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, and then you nice know job. everything they touched and used. Make sure if you can replace it; mm. otherwise, it's got to go in yep. the book. You know, yeah. Um, and then uh, the always make sure that if one of your crew members is not in the green, that you vocalize that and figure yeah. out how you can get them back in the green. Yeah. Luckily, I was going to say that that was a uh, that's part of, that's something that goes a long way in situations like this, especially when you know you get that initial phone call and that flight attendant is just you know juiced up with adrenaline and they're you know you can just hear it in their voice, and it's almost your job up in the cockpit to you know obviously be responsive to what they're asking for, but also to be that sounding calm voice and be like, okay, I got your information. You know, let's rely on your training. Just slow down, take a deep breath. You're doing a great job. You know what I mean? And just get them, uh, you know, kind of bring them back into the green because I'm sure they're out in the yellow, you know, maybe close to the red at some point Yeah. Uh, with what they got to do. And um, just kind of keep them, you know, uh, <laughs> keep them in between the uh, wings here and and <laughs> and uh, get you going where you need to go where they need to go so that uh, you can do your job too so yeah good job on you guys and yeah, that that goes to show you all that training we go through really pays off in the end yeah yeah and and that's really i had a customer a passenger i was sitting uh at the gate in san diego a couple of days ago waiting for the inbound flight. I had a cup of coffee in my hand. I'm sitting there sipping a cup of coffee. And the guy next to me looks at me and goes, hey, you flying us to uh, to Dallas? And I said, yeah, yeah, I'm flying you to Dallas. And he's like, oh, great. How's it? I'm like, yeah, the weather's good. Should be a relatively smooth flight. You know, if there's anything we can do, you know, let our flight attendants know. We'd be happy to 
help you out as much. He goes, oh, that's great. He goes, oh, I got a friend who's a pilot for uh, one of these carriers. And I'm like, oh, that's cool. And we start talking a little bit. Um, and he asked me, he goes, are you, you guys, like, does the airplane do everything? Do you just sit there and push buttons the whole time? <laughs> and he didn't mean it out of malice. He, he, right, he yeah. was honestly yeah. asking. And I guess we his, get that all the time. Yeah. yeah. His friend, I guess, that uh, worked for a, 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 one of the major carriers in the U.S. was a wide-body first officer. Mm. And all he did was international flying over to Hong Kong. And so yeah. he said that he sleeps in the bunk until about two hours into the flight. And then he goes and watches computers for a couple hours. And then he goes back to the bunk and takes another nap. And then gets yep. called up for another break and sits up there and just mm-hmm. stares at the computers for a couple hours and then goes back to the bunk for landing. And <laughs> so he's like, yeah, my friend says he doesn't do anything. <laughs> so yeah. I'm like, yeah, well, that's not typical. I mean, yes, there's a position that is a relief pilot. That's what they do. And they have to go to the simulator to get current and get their landings and stuff. But most pilots, especially domestically, it's a two-man operation. And yeah, we hope that 99.9% of the flights are boring and to plan. Yep. You know, as Definitely. soon as you feel comfortable, you turn an autopilot on and now you're managing systems and using buttons and knobs and but- and switches to control the aircraft. But you're always in control of the aircraft. You have to tell it what to do. ATC changes mm-hmm. up everything all the time. Slow down, speed up, climb, descend, go direct to here, go direct to there. Here's a reroute. I mean, you're always busy up there. You're monitoring systems, but you're flying the airplane. Yeah. And a lot of people don't realize, I think we drink coffee and talk about the last round of golf or something. Well, we do do that, but anyway, go ahead. Shh, Rob, don't tell anybody. <laughs> well, I I heard an interesting story because the captain, after all this was said and done, we we're actually uh, having a, a burrito beach burrito bowl. <laughs> You know, I'm sitting there at O'Hare at the cafeteria there. Uh, and so we're sitting there and uh, we're having a meal. And he goes, you know, that's the second time I've had an emergency uh, this month. Wow. And I went, so you're the one. Yeah, it's all you. <laughs> it's all you. That's he goes, it. well, the last one didn't go so well. So I want to thank you for, you know, you really, <laughs> you really were on it. And, you know, having a, a well-trained and well-experienced first officer made all the difference. I just want to say thank you. And I was like, wow, I felt really good. Yeah. You know, he's told yeah. me this. And, yeah. and I was like, yeah, well, you know, just doing my job, you know. And he's like, no. He goes, seriously, he goes, uh, on the last one, I had, I had a very green first officer that didn't have an airline background. He was a military pilot. So yeah. you know, this was his first airline. I'm like, wow, that's, that could be tough. Um, and he goes, so he did great. But he just wasn't experienced. He didn't really know what to do. Like, I handed you the plane, and you had everything ready for a diversion. Yeah. I mean, you were flying yep. the plane, and you were getting ready. You did what you could. And he goes, it made a huge difference. And he said, uh, on the last medical emergency that he had earlier in the month, that the flight attendant had uh, problems using her tablet to contact the physician on call. It happens, right? She's like, yeah, I can't connect to the internet. I can't. You know, some Nine out of 10, it's like user error. They get nervous yeah. and they don't. It's not totally. something you do every day so they probably couldn't operate their tablet appropriately. Rather than getting help from another flight attendant, one of the other three flight attendants, she was like, I can't get a hold of them. Um, can you call them from up there? So the captain goes, that's fine. Uh, so 
he got all the information he needed, and he called the physician on call using the crew phone on the tablet. It's a Wi-Fi calling. So he, you know, he puts his headphones on. He tells the, the first officer, you're a craft, your radios. I'm going to call the physician on call. And he talks to the physician on call, and they're going back and forth. And so he then picks up the, the intercom and talks to the number one flight attendant and says, okay, I talked to the physician on call. They want you to open the medical kit and administer so many cc's of this medication to the patient. <clears throat> and she says, <laughs> he replies, you know what she said to me? <laughs> I don't feel comfortable doing that, Captain. I am not in my comfortable space right now. <laughs> okay. And he goes, I need the physician on call is instructing you to open the medical kit and administer so many CC. Captain, I don't feel comfortable. I will not. I don't feel comfortable opening that. He goes, get the number two flight attendant up here now. <laughs> so the number two flight attendant comes up, picks up the intercom. Because they're behind a door, right? Yeah. And she goes, yes, Captain. She goes, I, I'm talking with the physician on call. He's instructing you to open the medical kit and administer whatever cc's of this medication to the patient immediately. Stay on the phone with me. She goes, okay, right away, Captain. So you hear her like zipping, unzipping, and breaking the seal on the medical kit, yeah. unzipping it. She goes, okay, I see it. I see it. I see that, you know, and he goes, okay, uh, go ahead and administer it. Call me back as soon as you do. She goes, okay, Captain. So yeah. <laughs> he, he looks at me and he goes, yeah. can you believe that shit? <laughs> <laughs> well, see, that's the stuff that's kind of scary these days is, you know, if there was a, you know, well, I was going to say if you're in an emergency, which, which you are, <laughs> but if you were like in another kind of an emergency where you're, you know, you're going down or something like that and you need to, you need the, the cabin crew to do their job and do an order, you know, you need to execute an order from the captain you know, is that person going to be there to do it? You know, yeah. or are they going to do the fight or flight thing? So, you know, that's, that's, that doesn't sound, I mean, hopefully that person is, uh, you know, found confidence in, in, you know, the situation from the, from what just happened and maybe they'll choose to do it differently the next time if that comes, comes around, but you know, that's what you're trained to do. You I know what think, I mean? I don't think there would be a next time because I yeah. mean, you're, you're trained as a cabin crew member in first aid. You're trained how to right. use the, the defibrillator. Right. You're trained how to use the medical kit. Uh, mm -hmm. You do all these things. They have some, flight yeah. attendants go through some really extensive oh, training. Uh, it's, it's intense. I don't you know, think, you fly uh, one airplane a, at a time. I definitely wouldn't have an e easy go at it. You know, it'd be a tough, tough yeah. round for me. Yeah. So. That when they're a flight attendant, they don't just stick on one airplane. They're on the entire fleet, whatever the company has. They've been trained on all yeah. of it. So yeah. today they might be flying on a seven three, tomorrow a triple seven, the next day, and they, you know, something else, an A three twenty one, or who knows. Yeah. Um, so they have to know where everything is and how to use everything and and so yeah. Uh yeah. When the when the stuff hits the fan, you're hoping that everybody's on the same page and willing to yeah. do their job. And if they're not, you got to find an all quick alternative. Somebody else is going to do it. Yeah. Yep. So they suffice to say. Three or four of them back there. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> suffice to say, when we reached Orlando, we got in at a decent hour, and the captain's like, okay, let's go to the brewery across the street. Dinner's on me. <laughs> so we all went. We all, the whole crew, we oh, all went. Oh, good. Yeah, we had a, you know, 
couple stories and we well found deserved. out a little bit about yep. each other and you know we each had some some beers and some appetizers and and nice. had a good time you know and, yeah, and that's good basically we all patted each other on the back we went in a circle and <laughs> good yeah, job guys that's awesome man <laughs> <laughs> And you notice they're, they're keeping some of the crews together more and more often. I've, I've noticed that on our trips at a yeah. DFW for sure. I think, nice. you know, I, I'm going to guess here. I think the reason they're doing that, which is pretty old school and I love it. Um, yeah. I actually had uh, one flight attendant all four days of my trip last week. Is that right? Yeah. Um, yeah. I think what they're doing is they're getting ready for the FAR 117 to pass for the flight attendant crew. Uh, they've been talking about that because under 121 rest requirements, which is what pilots used to be under, yep. uh, you had a uh, nine hours of rest that could be reduced to eight hours of rest as long as the compensatory 10 hours of rest follows that eight hours of rest within the, that yeah. sequence period. <laughs> and then you had the 30 and 7, 100. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> so that's all gone now because now we have yeah. FAR 117, which means we now have a minimum rest period of 10 hours that allows for eight hours of sleep opportunity, which is defined loosely as eight hours behind the door of a behind the door rest facility of somewhere. a hotel. Yep. Yeah. So, yep. uh, the flight attendants don't have that yet because right. they didn't fall. They weren't privy to that FAR. So there's they or their union is very strong and they're like, no, this is not right. You know, we should, have yeah. the same rest and considering everything that's happened in the past few years with COVID and all these disturbances on the flight and it doesn't seem like they're going to be slowing down anytime soon. So it looks like now that the language is being written and they will too fall under the same, uh, what's it called? Purview? Rule, rest rules. Yeah. Rest rules of, of FAR 117. Rest in rules, which yeah. case the company would then be a lot easier for them to just keep the crew together. Yeah. So yeah, it just makes sense. Just yeah. makes total sense. Yeah, all the way across the board. Exactly. So, yeah. Thank you for uh, <laughs> being patient in that story. I know it was a long one. Uh, we're that gonna take was a... one good, one hell of a long but good story, man. Yeah, you know, <laughs> sounds like an exciting trip. You know, hopefully the rest of the trip went, uh, you know, just nice and low key and. <laughs> yeah, it did. No real. No real, it uh, did. The rest issues, of the trip, so I uh, drank coffee and read the USA Today. There you go. No, yep. kidding. What's the USA Today? We don't, we're not, we don't do that up there. <laughs> we don't do that anymore. <laughs> we're going to take a we're quick flying. break, and we'll be right back right after this message. And ladies and gentlemen, welcome back. Well, we've been talking about in-flight emergencies, medical emergencies, diversions, uh, physicians on call or POCs, and what that means to airline crews. Well, recently in the news, we've had a few interesting articles, and I, I try not to bring negative news uh, onto the podcast. You know, there's so many other podcasts out there that talk about accident investigations and this and that. Well, I found an article that was very interesting that I wanted to share with everyone. This is from the evening standard of uk mm. in an article i'll put a link in the show notes the pilot was jailed for lying about his flight experience to get a job at british airways this article is uh, again from the standard or evening standard uh craig buttfoy is that am i saying that right <laughs> yeah, i saw that too i don't know before before okay. right. maybe the t silent i don't know <laughs> 
So in this article, Craig Buffoy pleaded guilty to four fraud charges after making false claims to get and retain work with BA City Flyer and Stobart Air. The article continues to say a pilot has been jailed for lying about his flying experience to get a job with British Airways, the Civil Aviation Authority said. Craig Buffoy of Matfield, Kent, made false claims to get and retain work with British Airways subsidiary BA City Flyer, based at London City Airport, and former Irish regional airline Stobart Air between April of 2016 and March of 2018. He entered false details and altered entries in his flight logbook. <gasps> what? Uh-oh. So it appeared he was more experienced than he actually was. Right. Bafoy was handed a 12-month prison sentence at Snarebrook Crown Court, East London, on Monday after pleading guilty to four charges of fraud at an earlier hearing, according to the CAA. Jonathan Spence, general counsel at the CAA, said the Civil Aviation Authorities, prosecution and sentence imposed show that offenses of this kind are taken very seriously by the Civil Aviation Authority and the courts. <laughs> well spoken. Wow. <laughs> now, yeah. there, there are certain faux pas that an aviator shall never commit. That's and right. one is falsifying your logbook. Entries. Everybody yep. knows someone that rounded up. Well, that was a rounding error. <laughs> no. Uh, yeah. Round down. Round you don't down. give yourself performance <laughs> and you don't give yourself experience. That's round right. down. Um, Those little tenths of an hour will add up and meet, leave you hours short or uh, actually hours too many than what you really actually have. Yeah. Don't turn that 1.2 into a 9.2. We all know that's bullshit. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yep. Yeah. So that's be careful. Crazy. That's I mean, a crazy story. I, I read that recently, and thanks to Kyle, yeah. by the way, for posting yeah. that on his Facebook page, the Aviation Business Information Board. Um, it, it just kind of shocked me that in this day and age, yeah. that people would still try to pull a fast one like that. Yeah, it is shocking, and you know, I'd like to think of our my fellow pilots as being very, you know, having the most the highest level of integrity and honesty and, you know, safety and everything put it for, uh, put first forward, but, you know, there's going to be always be that one or two out there that, you know, that are scammers or have issues or whatever their case may be. And, you know, it sucks to hear about this kind of stuff. Cause yeah. you know, he, obviously the guy was a pilot, you know, he, He's been with the airline for years and been with several airlines, so he's a safe guy. But um, just that whole lying thing, you just falsifying, you know, those are applications and, you know, yeah, to the CAA, legal document, which is an aviation, you know, a regulating authority, you know, that's falsifying yeah. information. So that's, that's a big no-no and that's so, not acceptable. So, yeah. So don't if you're, do it. Don't do it. Forget about and, it, and it brings me to brings us to another point is when you, you know, you keeping uh keeping out you know track of your logbook or keeping hours in your logbook. I guess most of us stuff is uh, electronic these days, so that's pretty neat. I like that because I, I still I I'm still well, I don't do it anymore, but I used to do all paper. You know, I just I just big... I brought my logbook with me on this trip and I caught it up. Yeah. I was behind about three months. Wow, I, yeah, I, I haven't up. done that in 
dude, I haven't done that in 15 years. <laughs> I, even I have a hard time that. stopping. I, I mean, yeah. a lot of people look at me and go, dude, you, you freaking, you're at the tip of the pyramid, dude. Yeah, because I don't do GA anymore. And, and so whatever union we have has a logbook for us already in there. LPA, and um, Legacy Pilots Association. Yeah, LPA, that's what it's called. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you for that correction. And, uh, you know, and then from Sandpiper, I actually subscribed to that one service that mm. – uh, logged it electronically. So right before I made made the jump to uh, to uh, Legacy, I um, had all that stuff printed out and just stuffed it in my master logbook. Yeah. But you got to keep you got to keep good track of your time, especially when you're going for your ratings, because that's where it all counts. Yeah. You know, you got to make sure you have accurate documentation of you know, legs of your flight, your night hours, day hours, instrument stuff, um, cross country and all that. And yeah. It's got to be truthful. It's got to yeah. be truthful. It's so. a legal document. There's a reason that your master logbook, if you buy a Jeppesen logbook, there's a reason it's green. Yeah. It's not yeah. because they like the color. It's because it's a legal document and you cannot yep. erase it, white it out, you know, scratch it out. It should be in pen, not pencil. Um, yeah. If you make an error, you draw a single line through the error, you initial it, and you correct it. Don't skip lines. Don't skip pages. If you do, as a legal document, they should be crossed out. Um, yeah. And, you know, when you start out in general aviation, you're doing flight by flight, hour for hour. Yeah. As you kind of move on and you get on with, say, uh, like a regional airline or wherever you're starting out, a cargo 135 operator, then you start logging like day by day. Like every, yeah. every line is a day. Then you get yeah. on to like your dream job, Legacy Airline, and you've been there a while. Then you start logging month by month and you go, well, in the month of May, I flew this many hours. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you, don't, you don't care about exactly. tail numbers. You don't care about, yeah. you know, destination. I flew about landings. that many hours. Yeah. Yeah. And then when you're really, you're up there and you're a wide body captain, you do year for year. Well, last year I flew. <laughs> Flew 300, 10 hours. 350 no, hours. <laughs> the whole last year. month. <laughs> <laughs> yep. That's yeah. funny. So, uh, but yeah, it's a legal document. Uh, yeah. Whether you keep it or not is completely up to you. Um, but I recommend doing it. It's it's not really, if you keep up with it, it's not that bad. It's The yeah. minute you stop, then you're like, oh God, how am I going to go back yeah, two years? You miss one flight and it right. starts to pile up on you. Now, here is a very important interview question. Mm-hmm. I was asked this, Rob, I know you were asked this. If I'm looking at your logbook right now as they're thumbing through it, is it 100% accurate? No. Okay, so what's your, what's your response to that? Oh, hell no. No, your response no. is... I round down on my times, that's number one. So, oh, yeah. you, could, you, you know, it's, it's, not, it's not right on the money with times. However, it's probably short of, uh, what, is uh, of what I actually have. Um, so, you know, but I have what is required for the rating and, um, you know, some of the stuff is speculative, like, you know, IMC and, um, you know, daytime, daytime, nighttime kind of thing. You know, when, when was it, what was the exact dusk, you know, sunset time, the log nighttime, you know, when you're transitioning from day to night flying, you know, in, in the same flight, you know, when did that start? You know, Hey, I, I've kept I really every farmer's just, almanac since yep. 1902. So you have, uh, I've well, got that good. information, that's Rob. Good. If you ever need it, just let me know. Did you, did you print that out on your uh, printer? Too I have an actual you... book. I have the book. It's in my <laughs> library down in the basement. I, I will happily grab that for you. <laughs> no, wrong. Uh, yeah, but the way I answer that one, 
uh, and yeah. it and it got me a little bit of a, a brownie point was well, sir. To the best of my knowledge, that that logbook is as accurate as possible. Mm-hmm. Yeah, as accurate as you. To the best of my knowledge, that logbook is as accurate as possible. Yeah, I don't even mention the word truthful or I round down. Yeah. I'm nothing. I just it's as accurate as possible. Nice. Um, and he's like, ah, good answer. Yeah. <laughs> he looked at me like, yeah. Did you read the gouge? <laughs> yeah. Yes, yeah. I did. <laughs> I sure do. So we were talking yeah. about uh, being dishonest with your flight times. Mm-hmm. Okay. And let's just kind of step out of the moral high ground that we're standing on the soapbox going, pointing our finger down at all those GA pilots going, I know you want a job and I know everyone's hiring right now and you want to get there faster, but don't, you know. Okay. So let's look at it from the hearing backwards. And anytime you have a decision to make, either on the flight deck or on the ground, thinking about flying, always work from the hearing backwards. What hearing are you talking about? The, the NTSB hearing. NTSB hearing, the congressional <laughs> yeah. hearing, if you're Sully, The congressional right? hearing, yeah, if you're Sully. <laughs> yep. <laughs> so Title 14 of the FARs, Chapter 1, Subchapter Delta, Part 61.151, when it talks about applicability. It's a big word. Specifically, the subparts that are requiring the, uh, the, or the subpart that prescribes the requirements for the issuance of an air transport pilot certificate and ratings and the conditions under which those certificates and ratings are necessary and the general operating rules for persons who hold those certificates and ratings. So you find yourself at a 121 carrier. You are made it. You've got the stripes on your epaulets on your shoulders. You got the stripes on your blazer, and you're walking through the airport, and you're like, "I've made it! Congratulations!" <laughs> but it's a privilege that you must maintain. How do you do that? Right. Under Part sixty-one dot one five three, eligibility requirements in the general section. To be eligible for an airline transport pilot certificate, a person must. And then there's a whole laundry list of what they have to have. It talks Mm -hmm. about the aeronautical experience requirements. Uh, It talks about how to maintain that experience. Mm -hmm. Uh, You must also, subpart B, be able to read, write, speak, and understand the English language. Yep. Okay. Subpart C. Oh, big one. This is the one that is probably the most important out of all of it. And, and it, it's the shortest of all of them. And it's only five words. Yeah. Be of good moral character. Character. So. That's it. If you're working from the hearing backwards, and any decision that you made up to the point of the incident or accident can be deemed not of good moral character, you're in trouble. Yeah. Okay, you now violated one of these regs. That's yep. it. And it's a, such a general reg. Well, what yeah. const, what defines good moral character? Yeah. Society, the, and the FAA, the standard. Yeah. Your examiner, the, the captain sitting next to you, who's to judge? All right? Yeah. Well, in this case, the FAA and the hearing, they will judge it. <laughs> yeah. They will judge you. Yep. And then don't to, uh, leave out the rest. You know, you must meet one of the following requirements. You have to have a commercial, all this stuff, you know, uh, not have a conviction. Um, these kind of things, um, airline transport certificate for multi-engine class rating on an airline transport pilot certificate obtained 
concurrently with the multi-engine airline type rating, blah, 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 blah. Pass the knowledge test, pass the practical test, and comply with the sections of this subpart and apply that apply to the aircraft category and class rating sought. So there it is. Yep. I'll put a link in the show notes to that too. It's under a pretty cool website uh, that you can pretty much get anything you want out of the FARs without actually having to go to the FAA website. Um, so, oh, there it is. Well, you know, I just want to say thanks, Rob, for for uh, joining me and talking about these in-flight medical emergencies. Can you remember actually a, a medical emergency or, or an in-flight emergency that you went through in your career that turned out pretty hectic and turned out okay? Yeah, we had a, a similar incident uh, coming out of Madison, Wisconsin. It was either Madison or, or uh, Milwaukee. It might have been Milwaukee. Several months ago, um, I actually talked a little bit about it on the podcast, but um, it was on the climb out. As soon as we broke 10,000 feet, got a you know chime from the flight attendants and uh, the flight attendant, you know, in her her voice, you could tell she was excited and just kind of like, oh, my God, got something going on back here. And she's like, yeah, one of our passengers just had a seizure. Mm. You know, and we're like, okay. You know, so kind of went through the same, same, um, you know, litany of uh, procedures like you guys did. So, you know, hey, get the name, seat, age, blah, blah, blah. And is there a physician that can address them? And you know, we're raped by Chicago right now. We could just, you know, drop it into Chicago and address the situation if we need to. And she's like, okay, let me get all the information. I'll be right back. And, and then he said, like, he said, like, just like I kind of went through with you, he was like, okay, just, you know, slow down, calm down. You know, you're doing a great job. You're doing exactly what you're supposed to do. Just, you know, rely on your training and go do your thing. And she's like, okay, <laughs> you know, turn around and, called her uh did everything and he's like she came back a couple minutes later and she's like okay he's he's much better now uh he's he's he said he forgot to take meds or something like that i can't remember exactly what what the whole scenario was but he's like refusing medical treatment his vitals are good and you know we're, we're good to carry on so so we did so we never had to divert but got pretty exciting there for uh 6 30 in the morning <laughs> yeah I bet, so, you know, yeah. and and I, I I remember mentioning this before on a previous podcast, but emergencies can rear their ugly head in so many different ways, and we've all had these like in-flight emergency declarations and calls, and a lot of times they de-escalate to the point where you can continue normally. It's like, oh, yeah, yeah, and but that initial response, uh, I I can remember. The story that one of our previous guests told us, Pete Tenderenda, and yeah. that's from episode or uh, flight 86 of the Squawk Ident podcast, mm -hmm. where he talks about supercritical coverage over there at the Sandpiper. And he tells a story on how he had a, a rapid cabin depressurization, and the, and the captain, and you know, they, they went through their memory items, yeah. uh, if I remember correctly, uh, oxygen mask on, 100% crew communication sense. established. Uh, emergency yep. or descent Descent uh, as required as required yep. established as so they were yep. doing this right the and they had a, a cabin that was well above the the normal rate so they did this and he could hear the captain in the oxygen mask 
And he's like, this guy's <laughs> going to hyperventilate. So all it took was him to grab his captain on the shoulder. Just touch his shoulder, yeah. And say, hey, man, you okay, man? And yeah. the captain. <sighs> yeah, yeah, okay. <laughs> You're thanks, good. Thanks. Okay, thanks. <laughs> and they give each other a fist bump, and they're like back yeah. in it. And yep, sometimes, I can agree. you know, you got a cockpit door, a bulletproof door separating you and the cabin, you, and you got four, five, six, 12, 20 flight attendants back there, however many you have. And whoever is in charge that you're talking to could be going through the same scenario where they're, right. <laughs> they're freaking yep. out. And yep. how do you do that? How do you bring them back without having that physical contact or that eye-to-eye expression? Mm-hmm. You have to yeah. do it through your intercom, through your headphones, and your, and voice. your microphone, yeah. and your voice. Yep. And sometimes you just have to say, rely on your training. Yep. Everything's going to be okay. You got this. Like you said, yep. Rob, right? Yep. Yep. So practice. Every yep. morning when you yep. look in the mirror, look at yourself and say... I'm going to do a terrific show today, and I'm going to help people because I'm good enough, I'm smart enough, and doggone it, people like me. Yep. Well, you know, recently I read an article that uh, had some pretty exciting news for the industry. You know, CEOs come and go all the mm-hmm. time. And recently, one of the biggest airlines in the world, if not the biggest in the world, announced that his CEO or their CEO was stepping down after a long history. We did a little research and we found from businessinsider.com an article that does a great job spelling out the history of this airline. This article is written by Taylor Raines. It was last updated on March 28th of 2022. I will put a link in the show notes. And we just wanted to share a little bit about this history with all of you. The article is entitled, Take a Look at American Airlines' Full History, From Its Inception to Becoming the Largest Airline in the World. American Airlines announced in early December that its long-running CEO, Doug Parker, is stepping down after 20 years at the helm. During Parker's two-decade tenure, he consolidated a number of carriers into American through mergers to create the largest airline in the world. However, his leadership is just one part of the carrier's 95-year history. American's journey started in 1921 with the founding of Robertson Aircraft, a general flying service and manufacturing company. In 1926, the company operated its first ever flight between St. Louis, Missouri and Chicago, Illinois. The famous Charles Lindbergh was the pilot flying the maiden mail route ferrying U.S. envelopes and packages between the cities. The flight is considered the first regularly scheduled service of what would become American Airlines. The same year, charter company Colonial Air Transport, formerly known as Beeline, started carrying mail between New York and Boston. The companies were independent, but in 1929, the two merged to create the holding company, Aviation Corporation. This was the first union that would eventually establish American Airlines, which consists of 85 merged companies today. Aviation Corporation was recognized as an operator and renamed American Airways in 1930, after new laws and reduction of mail routes forced companies to rethink their business models. 
Finally, in 1934, the company became American Airlines after reworking its routes into a connected system. Cyrus Rolette Smith, better known as C.R. Smith, was named CEO of American later that year. After eight years of shuttling mail, American began to invest in passenger service. Smith worked with aircraft manufacturer Donald Douglas to develop the DC-3 passenger plane that would change the course of airline history. The DC-3 was built to carry passengers and make air travel profitable for carriers without relying on government subsidies. The first version was the Douglas Sleeper Transport, also known as Sky Sleepers, which was delivered to American in 1936. The luxurious plane had 14 comfortable seats and four compartments that could convert into seven berths with seven additional beds that folded down from the cabin ceiling. The aircraft could carry 28 daytime passengers or 14 overnight passengers. American flew the first DC-3 flight on June 15, 1936 from New York to Chicago. The company was also the launch customer for the standard 21-seater DC-3, which came shortly after the Skysleeper. In the mid-1940s, American took interest in overseas operation. The company acquired American Export Airlines, AEA, in 1945, which already had transatlantic rights to fly across the pond to Northern Europe, a market dominated at the time by Pan Am. The international service started with Wojciechowski VS-44 flying boats on routes between New York and cities like Shannon, Copenhagen, Berlin, Oslo, and Helsinki. AEA was renamed American Overseas Airlines in 1945 and launched its first flight from New York to London Heathrow via Boston, Gander, Newfoundland, and Shannon, Ireland using a DC-4 named flagship New England. However, unsatisfied with its performance, American sold AOA to Pan Am in 1950 and abandoned its London route, not returning to the city until 1982. In 1953, American pioneered transcontinental travel using the DC-7 between New York and Los Angeles. It was the first airliner to operate the route in both directions. In addition to the DC-3, American also had a hand in developing the DC-10 Trijet. The company wanted a wide-body plane that was smaller than the mammoth Boeing 747, but could still operate long-haul routes to airports with shorter runways. American called on McDonnell Douglas in 1966 to produce the plane and placed an order of 25 of the new jets in 1968. The DC-10 took its maiden flight in 1970 and first entered commercial service with American in 1971 on a round-trip flight between Los Angeles and Chicago. In the 1970s, American started expanding, growing from a smaller U.S. carrier to a large international player. In January of that year, the airline acquired Trans-Caribbean Airways, gaining routes to places like San Juan, Puerto Rico, and Port-au-Prince, Haiti. In 1981, America West Airlines, which would become part of American's history, 
commenced operation out of its base in Tempe, Arizona. The carrier was led by Doug Parker and eventually acquired U.S. Airways in 2005, but kept the U.S. Airways brand. Also, in 1981, American opened its first base at Dallas-Fort Worth International Airport after moving its headquarters from New York City to Fort Worth in 1979. American's hub and spoke system grew from Dallas. In 1982, the carrier opened a base at Chicago O'Hare International Airport and returned to London with daily nonstop flights from Dallas to Gatwick. American's regional system, American Eagle, was established in 1984. Today, the airline has three wholly owned subsidiaries, including Envoy Air, Piedmont Airlines, and PSA Airlines. The carrier also designates its regional flying to other contracted carriers, including Republic Airways, Mesa Airlines, and SkyWest Airlines. Towards the end of the 20th century, American continued to expand through route acquisitions and mergers. In 1986, the carrier announced it would buy AirCal, a California-based carrier, for $225 million. This gave American the West Coast routes it needed to expand into a nationwide airline and made it a strong competitor in the lucrative Los Angeles-San Francisco flight corridor. Shortly after, in 1990, American bought routes to Central and South America from defunct U.S.-based Eastern Airlines. The deal made American a dominant competitor in the region and helped it open its huge hub at Miami International Airport. Continuing eastward, American bought three Transworld Airline routes to London Heathrow in 1991 for $445 million. This was the first time the carrier flew to Heathrow since the 1940s. In another merger in 1999, American purchased Reno Air for $124 million and integrated its network into its operation. However, it sold most of Reno's, Reno Air's planes and eventually abandoned most of its Reno airport routes. American hit a snag in 1997 when the company's pilots went on strike over low wages. However, the strike was squashed by then-President Bill Clinton when he invoked the Railway Labor Act, forcing the crews to settle for lower-than-demanded pay. Fortunately, the company ended the century on a good note. In 1999, American, along with British Airways, Cathay Pacific Airways, now defunct Canadian Airlines, and Qantas founded the Global Alliance One World. Today, One World consists of 14 airlines, though American has recently severed ties with Russia-based alliance member S7 Airlines over the country's invasion of Ukraine. By 2001, American was flying to most corners of the globe, including Europe, Asia, Latin America, the Caribbean, and South America. It continued to expand that year with the purchase of TWA and its base in St. Louis, Missouri. Through the early 2000s, Americans struggled to recover from financial losses after the 9-11 attacks, which involved two of the carrier's airplanes. It downsized its St. Louis base, eliminated its More Room Throughout Coach program, and ended three class service on international flights. Nevertheless, through its standardization, the company was able to also expand to new cities in Ireland, India, and China 
Finally, in 2005, the company posted a quarterly profit for the first time in over four years. However, American hit another roadblock during the financial downturn of 2008. Nearly 1,000 flight attendants were furloughed and 20 MD-80 aircraft were grounded. The company's MD-80 fleet faced scrutiny from the FAA in 2008 and 2009 over wire issues and reported maintenance lapses, like failure to repair cracks in the bulkhead, incorrectly drilled holes, and improper engine coatings. The carrier eventually retired its MD-80s in 2019, replacing them with the newer Boeing 737 and Airbus A320 families. Meanwhile, all of the company's A300 fleet was retired in 2009 and permanently stored in Roswell, New Mexico. The company continued to make cuts through 2010, effectively closing the St. Louis base and cutting nearly 700 jobs. In 2011, AMR Corporation, American's then parent company, filed Chapter 11 bankruptcy. The following year, the company started cutting flights due to grounded aircraft and pilot retirements. While American was working through bankruptcy, union contract negotiations prompted pilots to strike in 2012 over cuts to pay and benefits. As part of the company's restructuring plan, it wanted to merge with another airline and eventually chose U.S. Airways to create the new holding company, American Airlines Group. In 2013, the two completed their union to become the world's largest airline, a title American still maintains today. The merger kept the, the American Airlines brand, but placed U.S. Airways CEO Doug Parker at the helm of the combined carrier. The union was met with lawsuits from the Department of Justice and several other airlines who believed the merger would decrease competition and increase airfare. However, all parties settled in November 2013 and allowed the merger to be finalized. The last U.S. Airway branded flight operated on October 16, 2015. Under the leadership of Parker, American continued to expand. In 2015, it flew its first revenue flight of the Boeing 787 Dreamliner as part of the carrier's fleet renewal plan to improve the customer's experience and its network. From 2018, the company's international network changed as it began experimenting with transatlantic service from its Philadelphia hub. This decreased operations out of the New York JFK airport where American operated Boeing 777 aircraft. However, in April of 2021, American ramped up its JFK operation with the announcement of the powerful Northeast Alliance with JetBlue Airways. American and JetBlue's controversial alliance has worried competitor airlines and the Department of Justice, who say the partnership violates antitrust laws. Nevertheless, the duo has strengthened its presence in the Northeast, strategically scheduling flights and co-chairing on international and domestic routes. Like almost every other global carrier, American faced significant financial losses during the COVID-19 pandemic. The company posted an $8.9 billion loss in 2020, furloughed 19,000 employees, retired over 100 aircraft, and was forced to rely on a government bailout to stay afloat. While American had to retire dozens of planes, the decision made its fleet the youngest of any U.S. legacy carrier a silver lining. 
After trudging through nearly two years of COVID-19, the airline announced in December that Doug Parker was retiring. Robert Isom, American's current president, will replace Parker as the new CEO. In an analysis shared with Forbes, Jeffrey's Financial Group summarized December's announcement as a changing of the reins but no change in strategy. The company suggested American is well-positioned to, quote, take advantage of the post-pandemic recovery in travel, end quote. Well, fantastic article. Um, yeah, and I very hope, well written. I hope you all enjoyed it. It really did feel like a history lesson on American yeah. Airlines, the world's largest airline. Uh, I learned a thing or two, and I hope you did too. Now, regardless of what carrier you wish to fly for or what carrier you're flying for currently, odds are, as a pilot, you may or may not have the knowledge of the full history of that airline. And I encourage all of you to take a moment when you have an opportunity, put down that Instagram, TikTok, YouTube, whatever, and instead maybe find a good article or a good book that explains who you fly for, who do you really work for, or who you aspire to work for. That's a lot of juice to have in an interview, too. Yeah, you know, definitely. You drop a couple of those facts and figures on an interview, and that could make the difference. Yeah. So I highly encourage yeah. you to take a look. Yeah, in general conversation, you know, when you're talking with your fellow pilots or employees or anybody you met, there's a, a, you know, a lot of the conversation, uh, especially initially, talk you talk about your history like where you where you come from where you've lived um you know what you did before the current job so on and so forth and you know it it really really puts your kind of your uh your company or his your your job at um in in check with as long as you, uh what am i trying to say it really puts your job in check or your situation in check when you know the history of the company that you're working for and to realize that you know you're you come, you know, especially at Legacy, you know, you come from a long history of it's not just American Airlines, you know, it's a whole hybrid of other carriers that all contribute to, you know, who we are today. And for example, um, just last week when I was in Indianapolis, uh, getting ready to fly back home to Dallas, I was at the gate uh, getting my uh, boarding pass and the gate agent had been with the company over 35 years. Wow. And it, you know, I was astonished. I was like, wow, you know, that's a quite a, you know, quite a career. And, you know, she was like, yeah, I've seen them all. I've seen all the changing of the guards all the way from, I mean, she named <laughs> the CEOs that were, you know, started when she started. And, you know, she was like, yeah, I've been here through all the mergers and all the acquisitions and, you know, the furloughs and everything. And, um, you know, reluctantly, she said, you know, nothing's really changed. <laughs> <laughs> same stuff different day yeah but um you know just uh it's amazing though to watch how this company has been so resilient you know over you know over the time with you know 9-11 covid um you know the the financial disasters and and all that stuff and still be able to you know turn around and and and, uh, you know, recover and bounce back and become profitable. And, uh, you know, I guess uh, Doug Parker has been a, you know, big part of that. Yeah. And of course, Robert Isom too, uh, for the last, uh, you know, 
last as long as I can remember. 20 years, you know? he was yeah, yeah. CEO of one so, airline or another, but yeah. 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 So hands off to him. You know, yeah. it's, they had a pretty big reins to, <laughs> to pull on there. So, yeah. <laughs> So well, yeah, yeah, thank you. Thank you for that insight as well, Rob. Um, well, uh, as we're sitting here, I'm uh, looking at the clock here, and it looks like, uh, yes, I've been reassigned. I still have a departure Uh-oh. out of uh, San Diego here in mm-hmm. a little bit. Uh, but as soon as I get to DFW, ah, my next flight's canceled. I hope I even make it to DFW. I'm checking the radar <laughs> here, and it's uh, yeah. not looking so good. It's getting a, little, getting a little dicey out there. So, hey, when you get here, give me a jingle. Um, let me know what's going on, and... Uh, we'll see what's going on. Maybe I'll come pick you up, take you to dinner. Oh, there you go. Hey, that sounds good. Well, cool. Uh, let's just uh, wrap up the show because my van time is in uh, 27 minutes. So I got 27 <laughs> minutes to put everything away and get a, put on my uniform. Put so, on the uniform and head on out. Get okay, going. Man. So I just want to say thanks again uh, to Rob D for joining us today. Uh, please help us out there by uh, sharing this podcast online and with your friends. It makes a huge difference to us. And I just want to say thank you for all your efforts to help get this podcast out there. Be sure to subscribe and follow to the Squawk Ident podcast on whatever platform you're listening on. We also love receiving listener feedback. You can send us an email or even audio feedback via our website at aviatortony.com. There you will find audio archives, photos from the flight line, the guestbook photo tab, and Squawk Ident pilot shop, where you can find an assortment of t-shirts, mugs, hats, and so much more. You can also contribute financially to our show right there from the homepage of our website. PayPal, a couple bucks, whatever, coffee fund, beer fund, whatever you want to call it. Uh, It does really make a big difference. And we wanted to say thank you to all of you that have done so thus far. Facebook, YouTube, and Instagram users, you can find us on Squawk Ident Podcast or Aviator Tony and Squawk Ident. I also want to thank all of you for taking the time to listen to these grateful aviators. Keep the dirty side down out there. Be safe and take care of each other. Bye, y'all. See ya. Get out of here. Ding dong, Captain. You're clear to contact departure. So long. Uh, over to departure legacy uh, 454.
sure. It's an entirely different kind of flying. 